Outstanding offer of 500 bucks to anyone who spots you. Forget anonymity. A good review from the New York Times is worth thousands. She considers for a few seconds. Could be millions. But it's only June. It's three months till I even start the job. I am truly stunned. I know, she says, that if your first review's in September, you've got to be eating somewhere now, don't you? There's a certain triumph in her voice as she adds, You see, there's not much we don't know about you. What do you know? This comes out a little more nervously than I'd like. Oh, she says breezily, ask me anything. You'll see. Am I married? Please, she scoffs. Ask me something harder than that. Your husband's name is Michael Singer. He's a producer at CBS, and he does mostly investigative work. I know he won a Peabody Award last year for something he did on the mafia in the recording industry. How could you know that? I ask. I told you, she says. We've been studying you. We all have. Didn't I say we were on the lookout for you? No critic eats alone, so that means watching for him, too. Not to mention your kid. He's about four. Four and a half, I say, the response so automatic that it is out before I realize that I ought to be feeding her misinformation, not filling her in. This is how I figure it, she continues. You're on your way to New York to do a little restaurant research, and maybe look for an apartment? Her eyes meet mine as she says this, and they light up. Gotcha, she says. You are. She produces a bumptious New York smile and adds, you're going to find that being our critic is very different from being the restaurant critic of the L.A. Times. We're not so easy to fool. I can see that, I say sincerely. In the 15 years I've been a restaurant critic in San Francisco and Los Angeles, nobody has ever bothered to study me before. This woman knows a scary lot about me. I wouldn't be surprised if she knew that the New York Times is going to pay me $82,000 a year a cut from what I've been making in Los Angeles, or even that CBS has been very good about letting Michael move to the New York Bureau. Knowing that my personal life is now public makes me so nervous that I try to change the subject. Please, I say, holding out my ice cream, take this. I need to save my appetite for dinner. She accepts. No wonder you're so thin, she says. Peeling off the paper wrapper, she looks at the ice cream before taking a bite. Mouthful, she adds. This isn't bad, but I'd much rather have the name of the restaurant you're going to tonight. It's worth a lot of money, and I could certainly use it. Not a chance, I reply, and turn to stare at the clouds floating outside the window like great billows of marshmallow fluff. You've finished everything, says the stewardess when she picks up the trays. She seems genuinely surprised. I smile up at her. This was an educational lunch. Oh, she says, looking slightly bewildered. I'm glad. Piling the trays onto her cart, she adds, people don't usually say that. Then she pushes off quickly, as if she's afraid that I will attempt to engage in further discussion of the food. But food is the farthest thing from my mind. I am considering my next plan of action. One of the primary requisites of a good restaurant critic is the ability to be anonymous. Clearly, I am going to have to do something. But what? Flying east, it takes four and a half hours to go from LAX to JFK. It is just long enough. By the time we land, I have figured the whole thing out.
This is Warren Hogue, announced a self-satisfied voice when I picked up the phone, assistant managing editor of the New York Times. He proclaimed it proudly, as if faint trumpets were sounding off in the background. Yes, I said, hoping my tone conveyed more interest than I was actually feeling. It was two months before that fateful trip to New York, and I was staring across the sad, low landscape of downtown Los Angeles, wondering how to make Easter more exciting. Holidays are a restaurant critic's nightmare, and this one, with its perennially boring brunches featuring ham or lamb, is particularly gruesome. The copy I had just produced was deadly. I suppose you've heard that our restaurant critic, Brian Miller, has decided to leave the job, the voice continued. This bland assurance that the eyes of the entire world were focused on Times Square was so irritating that I lied. No, I said, I hadn't heard that. The voice ignored this. I was thinking, it continued smoothly, that it can't be much fun for you, being a restaurant critic in the middle of a recession. I dropped Easter. He had captured my attention. The 80s hit Los Angeles like the month of March. They came roaring in and tiptoed sheepishly out as the money stopped and the good times ended. It all happened so fast. First the aerospace industry shut its doors and the city slumped into depression. Then the cops beat Rodney King on the nightly news, exposing the racism that had been hiding behind the prosperity. The anger simmering just below the surface erupted into a furious boil. Riots were followed by floods and then fires, which spilled out across the city in an almost biblical manner. When the tide of disasters finally receded, the city it left behind was thin, brittle, dangerous, and poor. The very rich retreated into their golden communities, into Bel Air, the Palisades, and Beverly Hills, locking the gates behind them. The valleys on the far side of the mountains swelled with fleeing people. Those of us left in Los Angeles huddled in our houses, haunted by memories of snipers shooting from freeway overpasses, looters setting fires that came creeping inexorably into our neighborhoods, contorted faces throwing rocks. Staying home seemed the safest option, and the great Los Angeles restaurant boom came screeching to a halt. New York is the center of the American restaurant world. The man's sinuous voice wormed its way into my ear, and I imagined him holding out an enormous, bright red apple. I was not about to bite. I have a job, thank you, I said crisply. I love working at the Los Angeles Times. I'm not looking to move. But he wouldn't take no for an answer, I told my husband when I got home. When I told him I was going to be in New York in a couple of weeks for the James Beard Awards, he made me agree to meet him for coffee. I'd love to leave L.A., Michael said wistfully. Don't even think about it, I warned him. It's not an interview. It's just coffee. I'll only be there 15 minutes. I can't resist the chance to see the Times offices, but I have no interest in working there. Of course not, said Michael. Why on earth would you want to work at the best paper in the world? I landed in New York to find the weather itself conspiring against me. It was one of those magical Manhattan springs. Fresh winds were blowing gently across the island, so that each time I inhaled I breathed in the faint salt smell of the ocean. Daffodils and tulips nodded from every corner. Lilacs and apple blossoms danced through the parks. On the avenues, tables and chairs edged slyly onto sidewalks, promising summer. The sun poured from the sky like honey, 
and people threw back their heads and drank it in. At Tiffany's, the windows were filled with eggshells, cracked open, spilling diamonds. Customers strolled through fancy food stores collecting wild strawberries imported from France, Japanese beef bred on beer, hand-churned cream from grass-fed cows, caviar by the pint. The restaurants were packed with handsome people begging for tables, and great crowds jockeyed in the museums trying to get a better view. Alone in New York, I wandered the streets and allowed the city to seduce me. I made my way back to the hotel, thinking that life in New York might not be so bad. Then a sharp female voice jerked me back to reality. This is Carol Shaw, said the woman on the phone. I'm calling to give you your schedule at the New York Times. Schedule, I asked. What schedule? I'm supposed to meet Warren Hogue for coffee at three. Oh, she said, her voice softening slightly. You haven't heard. Heard? Heard what? About Warren, she said, and now her voice dropped to a whisper. He's in the hospital. I hope it's not serious, I said. I guess we'll have to meet some other time. But we were hoping you'd go see him tomorrow, she cried. We've planned your whole day. Excuse me? You start by visiting Warren at New York Hospital at 9. Then we have set up appointments for you with... She started ticking off names. And finally, she continued, you'll go to the 5 o'clock editorial meeting and end the day in private session with the editor, Max Frankel, and the managing editor, Joe Lelyveld. I don't have time for all that, I said. I'm really very busy. I'd only planned to spend 15 minutes with Warren. I understand perfectly, she replied. Her voice was as brittle as ice. Even the...